COVID-19 continues to circle the globe and it is showing no sign of abating or slowing down. And in fact, it is heating up. Let's talk more about the coronavirus right here on another special episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I love having the opportunity to use this platform for educating and informing you, The Nurse Keith Nation, so that you can take any information you find useful and share it with those you care about the most. I'll be regularly publishing episodes related solely to the COVID-19 pandemic. There will be no corporate sponsors of these episodes, no advertising of any of my stuff at all. This is solely about education and information as a public service. So please share far and wide if you happen to find these episodes are valuable and you would like to share them with others. Now for my ubiquitous COVID-19 podcast episode disclaimer, All information in these episodes about COVID-19 uses the most up-to-date information we can access, as well as some personal opinions and reactions from myself and or my guests. Please note that the situation is changing by the moment, and any information shared in any episode may be different once it's published or within a few days or weeks of publication. Please also note that nothing shared in the course of any Nurse Keith Coaching COVID-19 podcast episode is intended for diagnosis or treatment. So please consult your healthcare provider or your local Department of Health or the CDC or the World Health Organization or anyone else who you trust. If you hear or read something I've shared that appears to be erroneous or misguided, please email me at keith at nursekeith.com and let me know. And if you have any specific evidence for your comment, that would also be helpful for me to post a correction. Thank you for understanding. Stay safe and keep informed. This episode is being recorded on March 26th, 2020 just as a timestamp so we know when this was done. And remember that the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-5. Anyway, I am joined today by my colleague and friend, Ms. Lizbeth Overton, coming to us from Minnesota. And Lizbeth, how are you doing today, darling? You know, today, right now, it's, it's a good day. It's moment by moment, Keith. It is truly moment by moment. I, you know, this is, everything seems like it's mutable and moving right now. Like it doesn't seem like there's anything nailed down whatsoever, other than the fact that we need to pay attention and be ready to pivot at any moment. So whether it's what we need to do in terms of caring for ourselves and our families, keeping our households clean and safe, what we do out in the world, and for those nurses and healthcare professionals listening, what the heck they have to do when they go to work on the front lines. And I can't even imagine being in an ICU or ER right now. So what are your reflections, Lizbeth, as a nurse of 22 years yourself? What are your reflections to a nurse listening right now who's like, well, after I listen to this, I'm going to punch in in the ICU and put my feet in the fire? For sure. So, uh, I am not currently at the bedside. I've been away from the bedside for, oh gosh, it's been more than 10 years. And so uh, I bow to you right now. If you are working anywhere in a facility where you're face-to-face with patients, and I, I commend you for your courage, I commend you for your vulnerability, and I would say 
please, for the love of all that is holy, I know that you signed up to care for people. And I also beg of you to make the choices that you need to make for your well-being, for your family, for your particular circumstance, because what you are being asked to do is unconscionable. That's a great message and also kind of a sad and tragic message, Elizabeth. And here we are in 2020, the year of the nurse. And you said to me early this morning, did the WHO really have this in mind for year of the nurse? <laughs> what do you think? Right? It's like, um, I believe everything happens for a purpose. And isn't it interesting that the WHO, the World Health Organization, deemed 2020 as the year of the nurse? And you're the nurse and midwife. And midwife. Thank you for that, for that clarification and that correction. It's like we have been anointed with the flames of, um, you know, really getting crystal clear. To me, it's getting crystal clear on why are you on this earth and, and what, what is, it's becoming crystal clear what is important because mm-hmm. let's be honest. The things that we value, the things that we are so accustomed to doing, literally on zombie autopilot style, have completely gone out the window. Mm. Well, you know, hun, I mean, zombie autopilot style, I mean, I've watched The Walking Dead over the years (laughs) and several other zombie-related things. That's true confessions here on The Nurse Keith Show. And I've always watched them as like a metaphor. They're very metaphorical. And we do get into that place of like, must eat, must work, you know, and must avoid all (laughs) self-care, you know, must forget to exercise, must forget to go to bed at a normal time. You know, that's a zombie behavior right there, right? And I know what you do as a spiritual nurse entrepreneur, you know, you're an amazing person. You have a company called Healthy Nurse by Design and you call it a spiritual coaching company and you are the certified energy officer, the CEO of Healthy Nurse by Design. And that says a lot about you, my friend, certified energy officer, you're the CEO. And could you reflect to us what you mean by that? And what does it mean to be a healthy nurse by design in the age of COVID-19? What, what would you say? Sure. So it's funny. Yeah, that's so the way that I came up with that CEO, Certified Energy Officer, is over on the old LinkedIn machines, I, I needed to update my tagline, my profile, because I was no longer working for a corporation. I was like, hmm, I am the CEO. And my most prized possession, my most prized asset, Keith, is, is my energy. And I would agree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I received that. And, and, and that is, um, you know, there's this saying, your vibe attracts your tribe. And, uh, basically just very simply, everything is energy. Okay. So the thoughts we think, the food we eat, everything is, is energy. And anything that is, quote, energetic carries a certain frequency, a certain vibration, right? So this is pretty cool. I'm sure you all have heard of something called a metronome. And I'm sure you've all heard or seen or experienced when you were a little kid, 
those little fireflies. You catch them, you put them in a jar, you put them in your bedroom at night and they light up your room. Well, so if fireflies, if a bunch of fireflies land on the same branch, they start to sync up, they start to light up at the same time. Metronomes, if they're all brought together, they start to sync up. This, this is, it's, it's the law of conservation of energy. Like, like attracts like, birds of a feather flock together. So there's this, this whole idea about energy and we are all energetic beings. And so I value my energy because my energy is, is how I'm able to show up in the world as a nurse, as a mom, as a sister, as a daughter, as a human. And so it's so fun to be able to teach people, especially nurses, people working on the front lines, how to protect your energy. And that means a lot of things that it means like your, your physical energy. Like, do you feel like you could run a marathon or do you just feel like you could walk to the mailbox or your, you know, this, this bubble that you have around you that protects you. And so working in a place like a hospital, there are all these different influences. There's the equip the equipment puts off positive ions. And, and as humans, we really need more negative ions, which is why when people go to the beach, the lake, when you take a bath, people feel relaxed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's because those are filled with negative ions. That just that's means very true. Yeah, that's it just very means true. Something is just it's an electrical charge that's happening and it it allows your physiology to feel more grounded and more relaxed. That's why salt lamps are so popular. So um some of this might sound a little esoteric to certain listeners. However, there is science to back up a lot of this, and we don't need to get into all that. But I think really the, the basis of it is that we're around machines, we're around people, we're around, we're around all sorts of emotions swirling around, and we are emotional electric beings, right? And we're filled with water that conducts electricity. And so there's a lot of stuff that influences a nurse when she or he, for instance, is in the ICU under stress and around all these machines and doesn't have a chance to eat and can't get outside and even get like a breath of fresh air or get the negative ions from just sitting next to a fountain in the garden outside the hospital. Who has time for that? So the only negative ions that they might get is standing by a sink washing their hands and that's not quite enough, but it's something. So speaking of all this energy and the ways in which if you picture like all this stuff around you in the hospital sticking on you, like people's emotions, people's fears, and all the other stuff happening to you, what would you say to that ICU nurse working in, boy, not even in the frying pan, in the fire in Seattle or New Orleans or New York City or Dallas or LA or the Bay Area right now? What would you say to that nurse when he or she drives home from a shift, coming home to their family, their family who has their own stuff going on all day, their own fears, their own issues around COVID-19 and whatever else is happening in their life. Maybe grandma had a heart attack or maybe the dog died, whatever, you know, or maybe they're just stressed and isolated and bored, right? What does that nurse need to do when he or she gets out of the car walks up the walkway to the door in order, one, to keep the family inside safe from 
everything that nurse has been exposed to? And what does that nurse do to cleanse him or herself so that he or she can make the, the transition to home? What would you say personally and as a clinician? Thank you. This is a great question. So I would say now everybody is very different in how they express energy, carry energy. Um, and so I would say on the ride home, whether it's five minutes or, or an hour, really allow all the thoughts and the emotions of your shift to, to just bubble up to the surface. If you need to scream bloody murder, scream bloody murder. If you need to sing, singing is very therapeutic. Sound healing is a very profound form of healing. And, and if we're talking about energy centers, the throat chakra, singing, you can't be singing and also be upset at the same time. It's almost impossible. <laughs> so singing um, and then crying. So many nurses are crying. Every, I mean, I've been crying myself multiple times a day when I'm talking to my husband about what's, what I'm witnessing on, from nurses. Um, allow the emotions to bubble up and express them in whatever way you feel healthy in expressing them. And then when you get home, of course, uh, from a practical standpoint, leave all your stuff maybe in the garage, your shoes, your clothes. Obviously with COVID, um, you, you might be quarantining yourself from your family. So in whatever way that you can communicate with your loved ones, come up with an agreement for what's safe and what works. And I, I would head straight to the shower. Again, water is one of the most healing things. You've got the negative ions. And if you're a visual person like I am, you can, you can imagine something called like a pain drain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, trauma, you're imagining like this cord going down from the drain of the shower to the middle of the earth, and you're just letting all the pain, all the suffering, the patience, all of it, just let it wash over you and go into the middle of the earth and allow it to be repurposed for hope, for inspiration, empowerment, and just allowing you to feel the feelings and then let them go down the drain. Does that make sense? Mm. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I do that a lot in my own life. And when I used to work as a clinician, I would shower every time I came home. Not necessarily because I felt dirty, but often I was stressed and had been perspiring a lot all day because I worked some really stressful jobs, but also energetically. And I just know like even this morning I got up, I wasn't feeling that great. I did a little exercise, had my tea, um, and then got in the shower and I got out of the shower and I felt so much better. And you know, you, you mentioned earlier today, you were like, what's up with your hair? Because my hair is cut in a way where it kind of, I can make it really stand up. And we were just joking that I look a little bit like the love child of Lyle Lovett and Kramer from Seinfeld. <laughs> it's so good. It's, and it's so necessary right now to laugh. It to, is. Oh, laughter. Laughter is important. But my, that tangent was a little humor, but also like when I got out of the shower, I was like, oh, I conditioned for Elizabeth. No, but you know, washing and just letting the water run. And I often sing or hum or I put music on my Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom so that I create even more of a vibe in the bathroom for myself when I'm showering. And that feels really good. And 
it's all so very important. And I know you're really into self-care, into energetic healing, into essential oils, and you know those those all-natural doTERRA fragrances or any company that you like, Young Living, whatever, that you can put under your nose or put on your wrists or put behind your ears. I use essential oils too. They're very uplifting. And you can use them at work as well, as long as you're not working with people who might react to them. You know, if they're like severe asthmatics or emphysema or you're in the ICU and you can't do that. But the point being that there are a lot of tools and I hear you naming a lot of tools. So if somebody is in, well, we already talked about coming home and keeping your family safe, taking your stuff off in the garage. If you don't have a garage, you got to get undressed outside or right inside the door. Um, and then shower or do whatever you're going to do for your, your ablutions to clean yourself. But what if you're at work? You're working a 12, 14, 16-hour shift because it's COVID time, and maybe you don't get out of there at 7. You get out of there at 10.30. If you're not getting a break, and say you have five minutes to pull yourself together in the middle of the shift, like you can go in the, the stock room or you go in the bathroom or the nurse's lounge if you even have one. What are a couple things you can do in five minutes to change your energy? Yep. So um, I'm going to offer three things. Uh, again, I'm a very visual person. So one is a standing posture. Everybody knows what a tree is. Everybody knows that the way that a tree becomes very strong is its deep roots, okay? So we are supported by the earth, and when we can tap into that energy, so if you can take off your clogs, take off your shoes, um, it's even better to feel that connection to the earth. Stand up tall like a tree. Imagine the energy of the earth coming up to the soles of your feet, coming up into your whole body to the crown of your head, and then you can you know, put your arms, you could do like cactus arms or like a field gold uh, post, or you could do your, uh, do a steeple grip above your head with your arms together. Um, however your branches want to be expressed, do that posture and take slow, deep breaths. It will completely reset your energy in a beautiful way and help you feel supported by the earth. Another very, very powerful thing that you can do is to sit down, place your, uh, like let's say your left ankle on top of your right thigh. So it kind of looks like a figure four and, and, and literally rub the bottoms of your feet. Um, this is what's called a grounding technique. I learned it from one of my yoga teachers who teaches yoga in prisons and the energy in a prison is very high. And so the, yes, it is. the first thing that he would do is he'd say, okay, let's, you know, sit cross-legged and start to rub the bottoms of your feet. You have tons of nerve endings in your feet. It's like reflexology. So do one foot and then the other, you can close your eyes. You could take a couple deep breaths while you're doing that. And also thinking about just thinking about the bottoms of your feet. Let's say you're driving home from work. It grounds your energy. That means it takes the energy from all being in your head and brings it down into your physical body. It allows you to feel safe, supported. And then the other thing, this is a little bit of combination of yoga and uh, qigong, and that's, uh, you could be standing or seated, but literally taking, uh, taking your hands, so uh, you're, you're basically making like a fist with your fingers, and then you're literally beating on the front of your body like Tarzan or Jane, Okay, and you're beating, you're taking some slow, deep breaths, 
it's an incredible way to shift your energy, especially if you have a lot of really heavy emotion. And then just to tap, tap onto that is to, okay, so imagine what's happening when you're jumping on a trampoline. You're like, your body is like, you're like shaking off the tension. So you could like pretend you're on a trampoline, but you're actually standing and like shaking your arms and your hands. That helps release tension as well. So those are three super simple things to shift your energy in a matter of, even in one minute. And of course the breath is always. Yeah, that was actually four and that was awesome. Um, <laughs> they got a little extra credit there. So I will write these out in the show notes. And maybe Lisbeth, if you wouldn't mind, if you could write these out for me to insert in the show notes, that would be awesome because I'd like to have it in your words if possible. Perfect. That would be great. So yeah, these are all really important techniques. And speaking of jails, just a quick aside, Mary and I were used to be laughter yoga leaders and weren't during one of our trainings here in New Mexico with Dr. Madan Kataria, the founder of laughter yoga who came over from Mumbai, India. We actually went to the largest um, prison in New Mexico. Uh, it was a medium security or medium or maximum security. I think it was medium, uh, very large prison. And we did laughter yoga with about 200 inmates. There was 12 of us and 200 of them and a bunch of guards. And it was pretty amazing. It was, it was pretty transform transformational for me. And a lot of the inmates had some pretty cool things to say about the experience. So anyway, um, laughters can be very powerful. So let's, let's switch gears here for a second. Those are great techniques. So I do want to reflect on a couple things we tried to talk about this morning when we had our aborted session of recording this podcast. And you used a term this morning that I thought was really fantastic. And I told you, you could coin it and I would support you. Um, you said that in this time of COVID-19, that the hospitals, by dint of lacking what they need to perform the care they need to perform, it's a hotbed of innovation right now. And people are really coming together just because they have to. So could you speak to what does that mean when people are under duress, like we know the folks who are heroically on the front lines right now are under duress. What does it mean to have the spirit to innovate and put your heads together and not stay so siloed that you're not thinking about how you can contribute? What do you, what's your reflection on that? So to me, this is specifically physicians, respiratory therapists, nurses, the people in the fire. It's like, instead of, you know, well, that's not my job. That's not my duty. It's like, mm. come hell or high water. We're in, we are in this together. We're having to call whether or not people are living or dying. We have the only way through this is together. So it's like, you know, you've heard of somebody using scuba gear uh, to rig up some type of CPAP situation. Somebody has figured out how to use one ventilator for more than one patient. And so the ideas, necessity is the mother of invention. It is. And it's like, listen, this is why this is a hot bit of innovation because people are being that are in the fire are being forced to get super creative because they don't have any other choice. And that's just the people that are in the fire. They have this drive, they have this desire. And, and when you get great minds together who just wanna help people, 
it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. It's, it's going to be what we're going to see six months from now is going to blow our freaking minds and our hearts wide open. And do you think that is because we've been mired in these silos for so long or stuck or, or jailed or whatever, either by ourselves or others? And we're like, nah, that's not my job. Yeah. Yeah. The RTs can take care of that. Right. There's, there's a lot of that that does happen, right? Yeah. yeah. Let the RT handle it or no, that's, that's the OT. I'm, I'm not going to touch that. Right. And at this time, I can only imagine really only imagine what jerry rigging and cross, not even cross training, just like doing what other people normally do. And you just do it because it's got to be done. And you may not know, or you may know that I often talk or write about the concept of intrapreneurship. Do you, do you resonate with that idea? Intrapreneurship? Yeah. So for those listening who don't know about intrapreneurship, you know, entrepreneurship, Lizbeth and I are both entrepreneurs. We have businesses as nurses. Intrapreneurs are people who naturally just because of who they are and the kind of energy they bring to work, they take ownership of their work. And that doesn't mean they tell people what to do. What it means is they, they come in and they're like, whoa, if we change this thing, imagine how we could decrease the time it takes to set up a Foley catheter insertion because we put the equipment here instead of here. And we could maybe cut down on nosocomial infections by 5% if we did this or that. And they don't make unilateral decisions. They just come up with awesome ideas. And then they go to their team or their supervisor and say, hey, I have this awesome idea. Let's try this and let's see if it works. You know, And that's an entrepreneur. They're just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and innovative. And they just want to make things better for everybody. And it's not for self-aggrandizement. It's just because they're the kind of people who just want to make things better because they see something that could be better. And the best entrepreneurs, they have no attitude. They're not in it for glory. They're just like, I have a cool idea. Maybe it'll work. Let's give it a shot if it's safe, right? So what you're talking about, I think, is natural entrepreneurship. And maybe your prediction, your prognostication is correct that when all this is said and done and we finally can put COVID-19 to rest, we hope, we hope, we hope, or at least we arrest it so that we can get back to somewhat normal life or maybe something close or that approximates normal life. Maybe this notion of pulling together as one, maybe it'll become more normal. Don't, don't you think that's possible? I, t- I totally see. Um, I think what it comes down to, Keith, is that, listen, people get in their comfort zones, people get in this, uh, this ego trip of, you know, that's not my role, that's not my job, and I'm just here to do my job, and then I'm gonna go home. When you're forced, when your feet are held to the fire, and it's like, you have to come together or else. I see, and you cannot unsee this stuff. You cannot unsee it, you cannot unknow it. And I feel like, the relationships and how we healthcare, this is, I guess, long and short of it, is something radical had to happen to upend healthcare on its head to figure out how to make, how to do it better. Because we have been, it, it's been a really 
it hasn't been okay. And so because of this and because we're humans and we want to do better, people are rising to the occasion. And it's so like, I remember, I don't remember where it was, but a nurse was like, uh, realizing that the, the IV tubing, uh, it, that was creating a whole mess. So they just moved uh, the IV pumps closer to the door or even outside. It's like, it's like little things like that. They add up to huge, huge uh, reduction in death, mortality, infection. So uh, to me, it's, it's so beautiful. And I'm excited to see, you know, what comes of this, because I think um, it's only through the dark that we can really, really, really have the contrast of the lights. That's a very good point. And you know what it brings me to? Oftentimes terrible things do have to happen for some reason. And what I just flashed on, and when my intuition gives me a flash, I generally trust it and either listen or talk about it or somehow incorporate it into what's happening in my head and my heart in the moment, right? And I know you resonate with that idea. So you're the queen of that. So what just flashed through my mind when you were saying, you know, maybe this had to happen or the dark times are what lead us to the lighter times. I'm thinking of World War II. So we had World War I, then we had the Roaring Twenties, especially here in the States, but also in, in France and Europe and in many parts of the world. Then we had the stock market crash in 29 and then the Great Depression. And we all know what happened in the Great Depression. And if you don't, please look it up. <laughs> and then World War II happened after the rise of fascism in Europe and in Asia also somewhat um, in the late 30s. So 1939, 10 years after the stock market crash, the fit hit the shan, so to speak, worldwide. And we eventually were pulled into the war. What happened during the war? The Holocaust? Suffering? So much happened, but what came out of that period of time? We got, I believe, didn't we get the United Nations out of that time and the Marshall Plan? I mean, a lot of things came into being. The World Health Organization is, an, is the healthcare arm of the United Nations, so we could say the WHO was born out of that too, right? And you know, the Jewish community had to pull together and figure out how to survive after the Holocaust, all those millions of people dead. I mean, and the innovation that happened, how factories had to turn around and figure out how to make stuff to support the war effort. You know, a lot of things happened and the, the world or, or the country here in the US, especially, that's what I understand most is that it was like, we have to pull together. And in England, they grew victory gardens, like people would plant gardens to, to kind of bring color and vibrancy and healthy food to the British people as kind of like a, a kind of like a vision of victory. They were envisioning victory before it happened, right? I loved the idea of the victory garden. I think I've got that right. Any British listeners, if I got that wrong and the victory gardens came after victory, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so look at what came out of World War II, for instance. And a lot of medical innovation came out of battlefield medicine. Right? So you're, you are predicting some changes to attitude, I think. Is that, is that where you're going? Is it really about attitude? It's about 
it's about on the spectrum, right? Everything is happens on a spectrum. It's about moving from the spectrum of I and ego to uh, we and, and, and this collective of the only way is, is, is together because when you're in the fire, you can't do it alone. And, and I think it's, it's time to put down the silos. It's time to put down the egos and really shift from a place of uh, really life driven by fear and just being sort of laissez faire and sort of like, oh, that's not my problem. You know, like don't even get me started on uh, the global effects, uh, the, all of the things that have happened up until now, it's the writing has been on the wall, the, the earthquakes, the fires, like we're waking up. Climate change. It's, it's all, it's all connected, but people aren't seeing the big picture. They're just focusing on their one little, their one little silo, their one little highway. And if we continue to live like that, we're, it's not going to work. It's obviously not working, which is why we are where we are. <laughs> it's not working. And we could point to the dismantling of our pandemic response uh, organization several years ago. And we know what happened three and a half years ago here in the United States. So, you know, in the age of SARS, MERS, um, H1N1, all the emerging viruses and diseases, public health officials and epidemiologists have been saying for years that the big one is coming. Just like they say the big one is coming to San Francisco in terms of an earthquake. They still say it's coming. They say a big earthquake's coming to Seattle. Well, a big earthquake has come to Seattle, but it's COVID-19 and to the Bay Area. But, you know, the big ones are coming. Climate change and, you know, peak oil, all those issues that have been coming to a head, whether you believe them or not, they're happening, folks. Sorry. And oof, so we're dealing with some major seismic shifts in society and in medicine and in the ways in which we need to live. And on a recent episode with Dr. Ted O'Connell, I think that was COVID-19-3, I was talking about a book by Lori Garrett from 1995, the year before I graduated from nursing school with my associate's degree. It was called The Coming Plague, and it was about emerging viruses and diseases in a world out of balance. And she predicted all of this 25 years ago. And what did we do? we slowly began to divest ourselves of pandemic response and public health. And public health isn't sexy. I've talked about that on the show. It's not sexy. And it's supposed to happen in the background. You shouldn't even really notice public health because it, it, it supports you every day, but you don't know what's actually happening. And we only care about public health when this stuff happens. There's another silo for you. But it's not that the public health people are siloed themselves. They have been siloed by others. Public health should be something that we worship. I mean, we should bow to the public health folks and to the epidemiologists, but it's not sexy like the ER and the ICU. So one of my hopes, and I know I'm going on a while here, but it's my show, right? One of my hopes is that public health becomes something that we're so grateful for that we that not worship, but that we we realize is so important. And of course, ICU nurses and ER nurses and all those people are important. But if we dismantle our public health system and don't pay it attention, 
those ER and ICU nurses, do you know what happens to them? We are seeing it right here, right now. Don't you think? Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with the, um, the public health and we bowing to them and also mental health. Like Lord knows uh, that's a whole nother show, but um, I think that um, I think this is what it, it had to come to this and it's forcing people to take finally to take resp- radical responsibility for how you're showing up on the planet and for yourself. And it takes every single one of us, every single one of us. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Now, you just said mental health. So let's go there for this last segment of the show before we say goodbye as we slowly start to wrap up. Okay, Elizabeth? Sounds great. Okay. So you said mental health. I just wrote an article for Multibriefs News Service, who I've been writing for for a long time, about the grief process in the age of COVID-19 and how we're in a global grief process. And I broke down the five stages of grief identified by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not linear. They're a circle and you can go round and round, but you can also bounce between all the different stages of the grieving process in the course of five minutes. I once saw Homer Simpson do it in like 10 seconds on, you know, (laughs) he was like, I'm angry. I'm in denial. I accept I'm bargaining, you know, and that's funny, but it's also like, that can happen. I go through the stages of the grief process every day, multiple times. And talk about mental health. What are we going to do in this country? Let's just focus on the United States for the moment, but this can be extrapolated to any other country in the entire world, right? Let's focus on the US. What are we going to do when COVID-19 is finally arrested or at least, you know, retarded, so to speak? How are we going to heal individually and collectively from trauma? What do you think? What are the keys to healing our towns, cities, communities, neighborhoods, families, institutions? How do we do it? How do we even begin to heal this collective trauma? I think it's, it starts right here, right now with these shows like this and people, okay. people dialoguing about it and people having the space and the opportunity to express their experience exactly as it is without any type of, you know, this isn't your place or whatever it is. We have to keep the dialogue going and we have to, we have to let the emotions be expressed all of them, the cycle. I mean, I'm the same way. It's like one minute I'll be crying, the next minute I'm like having a dance party so that I can release the, somebody who talked about it is this isn't PTSD, this is pre-trauma. Ooh. This is pre-trauma. What, what, when these nurses and doctors in the fire, they're, they're already having trauma before the experience because they know what's about to happen. That is so true. So in a way they're experiencing anticipatory grief Right. And I think, you know, they've been saying that if we don't reverse course, at least 2.2 million Americans are going to die in the course of COVID unless the social distancing and the lockdowns work and if people adhere to them. And in other countries and in small pockets in the US, we're starting to see that social distancing and all of these practices of shutting down shutting stuff down. Even though people are losing their businesses, we have to save lives, right? So 
we know that it can work and it's working for the collective, even though individually we're suffering. So you're right. It's anticipatory grief. We are anticipatorily, is that a word? Yep. Grieving the potential of 2.2 million people dying in the United States. I mean, just the other day, I don't know if you heard this story, and this is a traumatic story, so just put on your seatbelt. The president came out on at the podium in a press briefing a week or week and a half ago and said that chloroquine was likely going to be the cure for for COVID-19. He said it was a miracle cure or something like that. Don't quote me. But he really made a statement that he was putting full faith in chloroquine. Well, a couple who I think were not terribly well-educated living in Arizona, the wife went into the pantry or the shed or something and saw a bag of something that had chloroquine in the name. And it was something used in a pond to keep parasites from killing koi fish. And she went to her husband and said, isn't this the stuff that President Trump said would cure COVID? And the husband said, yeah. So they each decided to take a teaspoon of it. And it was not the right kind of chloroquine, first of all, though it was related to the medication chloroquine. And they took eight, nine, ten times the recommended dose of chloroquine. He died, intubated. She almost died. And... The desperation people are feeling, hearing stories like that, or I heard a story yesterday of a man who was in his 70s who knew that a young man in his 20s or 30s needed a vent. I don't know what city in the U.S. this was, and he, he knew it was the only vent left, and he said, let me go give the vent to the young man, and the older man died, and the young man is on the vent, and they think he's going to recover. So, yeah, so these stories are incredible. And I want to point out the heroism and the courage and the selflessness that's happening. There's a lot of people doing dumb things. Kids, kids, teenagers broke into a supermarket and coughed all over their groceries and were caught on camera. So they were arrested and all the groceries were thrown away. So people are doing dumb things. And that's part of the grieving process. They're in anger. They're in anger and denial. And the woman and her husband, they are in fear. So this grieving process we're all going through every moment, I think I've been through several of these stages in the course of our conversation. What do we do with that? And we are going to need an army, a huge army of mental health professionals when this is all said and done. We need them right now, but we're going to need more. Mm -hmm. And Entire communities are going to need post-traumatic debriefings. So give us a few final thoughts of inspiration to or empowerment to anyone listening who needs it right now. And just touch base with yourself. You're a deep intuitive. What needs to come out of Lisbeth Overton's mouth right now? So as hard as the moment by moment is or could be for you right now, remember this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Focus on the breath that you're in. Always focus on the breath that you're in and know that you are fully supported. 
even when you're in the middle of the fire. And as long as you can focus on just this moment that you're in right now, that will decrease your suffering. Because if you're not thinking about what happened last night at work and you're not worried about what's happening tomorrow, you're just in the moment, you're with your family, you're with your breath, you're with whoever you're with, even if it's just by yourself. When you can be in the present moment, that's where you can experience peace. Mm. That's wonderful. So present moment awareness, right? Mm-hmm. So we do have many teachers out there. We have Thich Nhat Hanh, we have Deepak Chopra, we have John Kabat-Zinn from the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program that was originated at UMass Worcester in Worcester, Mass. We have plenty of people out there who teach mindfulness. There are plenty of people putting out videos on YouTube for free on Facebook and everywhere trying to help others with resources they have at their fingertips and skills that they have. So tune into stuff, look for stuff, ask your friends or others who are on social media, what are you seeing out there that's positive? Like, what could I do to uplift myself? There's a lot of humor. There's been some great COVID-19 parody songs by this gentleman named Chris Mann, and those are making the rounds. I've posted them actually at on Nurse Keith Coaching on Facebook. And they're hilarious. One is called My Corona, using the yes. music from My Sharona. And yes, it's gallows humor. Nurses love gallows humor, man. And we need to laugh. And then he does another one to a Madonna song. And it's we need to poke fun because if we don't poke fun, we have to, it, it's a way of like, I feel like it's a way of poking holes in a trauma. Like Absolutely. we can get caught in this bubble of trauma and then we have to poke holes in it or we're going to be stewing in our traumatic juices. And I've done it. I've done it in the last couple of weeks. I've stewed and I got really cooked. My goose was cooked. Mm. So one more, one more thing I would add please, is, darling, please. is, is um, any, anything that you deem creative, one of my favorite things to do, um, I, I, got, I got a get well card for my sister and I have a thousand, a little sticker book full of a thousand stickers. And when I got my stickers out, I'm feeling so good and creative. And when you're being creative, it, it, it allows you to be present, right? So you're not worried about something else and you're just, you're tapping into that part of yourself that is what gets covered up with trauma. So anything, art, painting, singing, dance, dance parties, hello, singing, um, anything. Nice. Yeah, so important. We've done some dancing here at my house. Um, we have done, we've watched our favorite comedies. I watched some Monty Python. We watched our favorite uh, comedian, Brian Regan. We really love him. So there's plenty of things out there for you. You have to find what works for you. If you need loud music and angry music, listen to loud and angry music. If you need fluffy, easy music, listen to that. So, Lisbeth, if people want to find you and kind of check out what you have out there to uplift people, I know they can go to lisbethoverton.com and it's L-I-S-B-E-T-H, Lisbeth, and then Overton, O-V-E-R. T-O-N. And then I know you're on Facebook, Lisbeth.Overton. And then you're on Facebook as well, Whole Life Health LLC. This will all be in the show notes. Instagram, you're Lisbeth Overton. And LinkedIn, we will have the we will have the link to your LinkedIn profile. And I'll help you make a um a really pretty personalized URL for your LinkedIn profile. Okay. 
Thank you. It'll take about five minutes. So, Lizbeth, you are amazing. And I am being very free these days, in these days of trauma and worry and fear of telling people who I love that I love them. And I'm going to say publicly here in front of thousands of people that I love you. Mm, I love you too. I received <laughs> that. I love our friendship so much. It's wonderful. And we met at the National Nurses and Business Association several years ago. You and I and our friend Lynn, we all just fell in love with each other and we've been best buds ever since. And we call each other soul family. And we even have a little soul family chat on Marco Polo, which you taught me how to use yesterday. Yes. <laughs> and it's really fun. So folks, Marco Polo, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you use, whatever your tools are, tin can and string. I mean, you know, if we were using tin can and tin cans and string, there'd be a lot of string around this planet <laughs> and it could get a little, you know, not good for the birds, you know, so forget the string. Anyway, Lizbeth, this has been amazing. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving of your time. You're an inspiration. And like my friend Don down in Mexico says, keep loving them out there. And I just love that. So Lizbeth, keep loving them out there. Mm. Thank you for this opportunity. And thank you for all the work that you're doing and all your service. And thank you to all, all the people. Everybody playing their role. I bow to you. Thank you. Absolutely. The, the people who clean the floors in the hospitals, the nurses, the doctors, the people making food, the people sewing masks, everybody. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this inspirational and special episode covering COVID-19 and so much more here at the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, there'll be more to come, I'm afraid, because COVID-19 is not going away. The show notes can be found at nursekeith.com forward slash COVID-19-5. I hope you do feel uplifted, inspired, and empowered from this episode. And please, I encourage you to take inspired action every day to educate, inform, and calm your friends, your family, your loved ones, your colleagues, and members of your immediate and wider communities. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, who is kindly producing these episodes free of charge to me as a public service to you, members of the Nurse Keith Nation and those beyond the Nurse Keith Nation. And Mark Cappiespeason, he is our stalwart social media ringmaster working every day to bring you content, entertainment, and inspiration and empowerment through our social media channels at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So stay safe, stay informed, be the nurse who does the right thing in the face of COVID-19. This is Nurse Keith saying adios. Till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico.